Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch-made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture, and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to remind you about the new Greener Postures membership or tell you if you haven't heard about it yet, greenerpostures.com slash membership or patreon.com slash greenerpostures. Either of those places is going to get you to more information about what I'm putting out there. Each, each month has a different theme. And within that, I'm going to be sending out videos, recipe cards. We're going to be doing Zoom calls and live workshops. So if you'd like to get in on that membership, check out either one of those websites. I would love it if you want to support me. If you have any questions, please reach out. Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of the Greener Postures podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Lanny, and I'm sure you gathered all of that from my very professionally recorded intros, which I've just spent time redoing. So you're welcome there. I felt like my intros from the first few episodes were honest, but a little bit harsh. So I don't want to have to remind everybody how other (laughs) podcasts are annoying. Um, That's that's what some people probably think about this one. So don't need to tell you about homesteading podcast because this isn't a homesteading podcast. This is a home podcast. This is a podcast about all things home. This is about doing more for yourself. And that's what we are here to talk about again today. So nourishing foods has been January's theme. And we've talked a lot about different aspects of diet and health and nourishment in that sense. And all of it keeps coming back to having to cook for yourself. And that can seem really overwhelming, especially when you're talking about, um, yeah, you cook, but it's semi-homemade, you know, products from the store assembled at home to make a meal. Maybe you're not a scratch-made cook yet. And maybe there's a few things you can do like that, but not, not a ton. If that's the case, that's what I want to talk about in this episode, and hopefully you'll find this useful. I want to talk about how I managed to make most of our food from scratch in a pretty easy way where it's not stressful and it's fun. And I'm going to talk about different items that I have in my kitchen that are extremely helpful in keeping the kitchen humming along as a living thing that I'm constantly putting inputs into and taking withdrawals out um, out from. So here we go. So first, I think what I'll get into is some items that I keep in my kitchen that are extremely instrumental in helping me uh, get the most done in the le- uh, with my the most hands off time. Okay, so I'm not off grid. I'm not cooking on a wood fire stove or outside over a campfire. I'm in a modern homestead kitchen, and that means I have electricity and plumbed in water. 
including hot water from a hot water heater, and I have a gas stove. Oh my gosh, it's like idling a car in my house. Just kidding. I don't know what the big deal is about the gas stove thing. Finally, it's on a national level. Here locally, people in the local community or some other um, nefarious characters have been drumming up this like hate for for natural gas here locally. They've been trying to pass laws to outlaw um, natural gas furnaces and cooking with natural gas. And that would include like restaurants and stuff, which is insane. Like if you've had an electric stove and you've cooked on a natural gas stove, you know the difference and you know how much more efficient it is to cook with gas. So anyway, I'll stop going on that tangent now and tell you the things that I have in my kitchen. Yeah, my my oven range is amazing. I had always had electric stoves before this and electric ovens. This is my first gas stove and I totally notice a difference. It's huge. So I have, um, that is being run all the time. I'm using it all the time. No, no, no lie there. But the, the other things that I have to supplement that, um, you know, you can only fit so much in your oven or so much on your stove top, top at a time. And if I'm having a big cooking day, I'm also utilizing my crock pot and my instant pot. So let's talk about those for a minute. I have a Hamilton Beach crock pot. I just replaced it because I actually had the ceramic insert part of the crock pot crack on me. I think I had put a whole bunch of frozen bones in it and then filled it with cold water and turned it on high to make bone broth. And I think the temperature and being so cold in it and then the high heat might have cracked it. So I woke up the next morning with a big pool of broth and fat underneath it. And I'm just glad I didn't catch something on fire. But this one that I bought to replace my old one is even bigger. It's the largest size I've been able to find it. I think it's a 10 quart, but don't quote me on that. I'm going to link to what I all everything I talk about in this episode will be linked in the, the show notes here. So check there. And those are going to also be my Amazon affiliate links. So if you're going to buy something on Amazon because I've inspired you to from this episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you use one of my links. Um, Even if you don't buy the exact model that I link to, if you finalize a purchase after clicking on that link, then I will get a kickback from your purchase. And I super appreciate that. No extra cost to you. So the Hamilton Beach uh, crock pot um, that I bought, I bought a larger model than I did last time so that I can do really large batches of bone broth. That means I'm fitting two carcasses of a chicken at the same time. That's, um, or even sometimes three whole, whole roosters in this crock pot. Why would I do that much at a time? Well, let's think about this. This is my whole philosophy is less dishes to do. So the less you have to wash something, then you have that time to do something else. So if I can get a huge batch of broth done at once, I'm only washing the crock pot once. Um, I'm able to strain it and portion it into containers to freeze or into a container to chill until I'm ready to can it. So in the description as well, I'll put links to my favorite items for freezing broth, and that is the super cubes. Those are spelled S-O-U-P-E-R, super cubes, soup or get it, super, super, soup. Anyway, uh, they are silicone molds, but they have like a metal frame around the outside of them so that you can hold on to them and push the frozen cubes out really easily, which is much better than some of these that I've seen before. 
Um, and they also have a nice fitting plastic lid so that you can keep things tidy and stack them on top of each other in the freezer. Um, they are on the spendier side, but because of those features, they uh, make a lot more sense and take up less room when I'm using them, which is extremely important because I've got a living kitchen and I'm trying to get a lot done. So the super cubes, I have two. I have um, one that, that has one cup measures and I have two that, uh, the other, so I have, I have two, uh, <laughs> sorry, two sets of two. One is the one cup size and the other is the two cup size. That means that each reservoir in this silicone mold is exactly portioned to one cup. So you can freeze your broth like ice cubes, then pop them out and put them in a Ziploc bag, label with the date and put them in your freezer. They stack nicely on top of each other and they're like little Legos in your freezer of broth. And then when you need broth, you can pull out one, cu one cup or two cups cubes um, and make whatever recipe you have. So if I'm just going to make a little pot of gravy, I don't have to open a whole quart size jar of broth. I can just go and get a little bit from my freezer. So while I do also can my broth, I still freeze some for quick um, applications of smaller amounts. So I freeze them in either one or two cup. And for my pantry, I freeze quart size. So that's what I'm going to go grab if we're making soup. Um, I also use the frozen broth for drinking when I want just a little cup of broth. So the crock pot and the super cubes work together. And um, I'm not going to get into my canning supplies because, um, spoiler alert, if I haven't mentioned it already, February is going to be canning. It's going to be all things canning. So the next podcast you hear from me, I'm going to be talking about canning and I'll go over the equipment that I have for canning in one of those episodes, uh, during the month of February for sure. So I'm not going to focus on that today. Um, so my crock pot though is, um, not only good for like something like a big batch of broth, but anytime I make something that takes a long time, I try to make more than we need so that we can save some of it. Within reason, there's certain things that I don't like to freeze, um, but it's getting kind of like, that's a smaller and smaller list all the time because I'm finding ways to do it. Um, so for instance, if I make a big pot of chili or um, my, my, my nine-year-old really likes uh, bean and bacon soup that I make. And sometimes I do that in the crock pot or in the instant pot, which I'll get to in a minute. But whenever I'm doing that, I'm making at least a double batch, maybe a triple batch so that I can have, we'll have a meal from it. We'll have leftovers the next day, usually repurposed leftovers, which I can talk about later because this is a big part of, of having um, a kitchen that works for you and you don't get tired of what you're eating, but you're still able to do big batches of stuff. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to make chili or soup or whatever in my crock pot. And then I'm going to freeze half it. I could freeze half in, um, I have these quart sized plastic containers that are like they use for takeout at restaurants and I'll, um, put those, if I want a full quart of soup frozen, that's what I'll do. So if we're going to have another family meal, I, I can pull one of those. But now that my little guy's uh, two-year-old is getting bigger and my nine-year-old is getting bigger, we, we're soon going to need more than a quart of soup uh, if that's going to be a whole family meal. It'll be a more of a two-quart situation as my guys get bigger. So I'm never going to take on a huge endeavor without trying to make it worth my while in multiple ways. So that brings me to the Instant Pot, which I already mentioned. And that's just an elect uh, electric pressure cooker. 
I have two of them and one is a six quart model and the other is a 10 quart model. The 10 quart model, I'm not even sure if they make anymore. I grabbed that a couple years ago because I saw, I, I searched for it. I wanted a bigger one than I had. I think they might only make eight quart as the largest now, but I'm not sure. I will link to different sizes in the description. Um, but the 10 quart I bought so that I could do more in one batch. And that was specifically for bone broth because I love my crock pot for bone broth, but I also love my instant pot now that I know how to use it. There's a soup function on there that keeps things simmering really low so that it never gets too hot and it can just keep that moisture all contained in the, the instant pot um, until it's done cooking. Whereas the crock pot, there is a, it's a release. This, so some of the steam comes out, which means that if you cook chicken broth for 24 or 48 hours, then you can have some liquid loss and you have to watch it and add more water to it. Uh, but in the instant pot, that's not an issue. I just put it on and I leave it on overnight and I strain my broth in the morning. Instant pot, I also have a lot of recipes for that, for beef stew and for chili or for stroganoff. Tons of different recipes that are specifically that I really like to make in my instant pot. And when I do that, it allows me to you make less dishes with what I'm cooking, to do all, like one pot meals, and then also make it worth it because it's one pot meal and lunch and then another meal some other time. So for people who don't have a lot of space in their freezer, maybe, or if you have a smaller family, those super cubes are going to be really helpful to be able to cook nourishing food and save some for later. Now, of course, fresh is best. The freshest meat that was just slaughtered that day, vegetables picked from your garden, nothing preserved, raw fish that we just plucked from the ocean. Um, yeah, that's going to be the most nutrient rich foods you can have. And that's why eating seasonally is amazing. But for the dark of winter, when you can't access things like that, or if you're a normal ass person in an apartment in a city and you still want to do better then buy your food from the grocery store, make a big batch of something and freeze it for yourself. Because if you're going for your own freezer soup or your own freezer chili, it's like a million times more nourishing than going to get a can of soup from the store, from the store, you know, Campbell's soup or whatever, <laughs> chunky, uh, Campbell's chunky. What I'm just thinking of those stupid commercials with the football players. But yeah, like, um, that stuff's got a lot of extras in it that you don't need. So that's, it's, it's a big deal. So yeah, we can't always be perfect. What's better than eating stuff from the store? It's making it yourself and freezing it or canning it. Let's go, let's go for it. Um, another thing that I think is really useful is a rice cooker. And you can cook rice in your Instant Pot, but I think mine are too big and I don't want to lug it out and clean it just for some rice. But with rice or any other grain, which did you know you can also cook quinoa in your rice cooker? Yeah, it's like the same water ratio as rice and the same setting. And it turns out really, really good and fluffy. So there's other kinds of uses you can use. I've even a long time ago made macaroni and cheese in my rice cooker. When I lived in a tiny, we, Chud and I lived in a tiny kitchen before, or <laughs> we lived in a tiny little house before we had kids. In that house uh, was no, I didn't have a stovetop. I didn't have an oven. I just had a microwave and a crock pot and a like co induction cooktop in this rice cooker. So I found creative ways to make stuff and I made macaroni and cheese in a rice cooker and it was actually really good. So there's more than uh, just rice that you can do. I actually, I did a big puffy like Japanese pancake in the rice cooker too. That was kind of cool. It was a little much, but it was, it was pretty fun. Um, the rice cooker though for rice is what I mostly use it for. I do use it for quinoa sometimes. 
The rice, um, you soak it first, of course, rinse it until it runs clear, and then cook it. But always make double the rice that we need because cold rice in the refrigerator makes great fried rice. So that's my one trick. If I'm ever making curry or if I'm making rice to go with something, I'm making a double batch. And some, sometime in the next couple of days, fried rice will be either for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And there's a lot of variations of fried rice, and I can just use what I have on hand. So... Whenever I cook grain, I cook it in a larger batch than I need, and then I have it handy to add to something um, when I need it. The same would go for beans, and I prefer to do my beans in my uh, by by pressure canning them so they're ready to go on the shelf, just like if you were to buy a can of uh, pinto beans or refried beans or black beans from the grocery store. So I I batched my beans so that I don't have to think about soaking and cooking them. Um, they're just on the shelf. When those start to get low, then I will do it again. And actually next month when I would do the canning one, I'm going to do a tutorial on that. So if you're not in the membership yet and you're really excited to get started canning and you think you could learn from me, maybe this would be a good time to do it because there is also going to be a workshop. So even if you're not a member, there's going to be a live online workshop on canning. That's next month, February 26th. It's a Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. So that will be... Um, my first workshop of 2023 is going to be all things canning, canning 101, both pressure canning and water bath canning. And I think we'll even talk about dry canning. So if you're into that, um, join me there. So, um, yeah, that's what I do with my beans. I usually just pressure can them, but, uh, you could also like soak and cook and then cook your beans in a big batch and freeze them. So you can use the same super cubes for freezing as well. Um, and then, I have a toaster and I don't use it very often. My my two-year-old just pulled it down off the counter and it like popped like one of the panels out. So it's like stuff is partially exposed. So we should probably not use it anymore. We got it for our wedding. So it's, it's had its time. It's had a dozen years. Um, I don't know if I need to replace it. You know, it's like you have an oven, you have a cast iron skillet. There's a lot of different ways to toast bread. So that might not be one of the things that I keep around. Um, other things in the kitchen that are working for me are giant glass jars bubbling away with something most of the time, especially in harvest season. So crocks um, and uh, big glass jars that I use for fermenting drinks and uh, half gallon uh, glass canning jars for different things as well. So that's... That's something that you might, you know, don't go out and buy all this stuff, but like one thing at a time and, and learn how to use it because more than any of these items that I'm talking about, and there's probably more that I've overlooked that I haven't thought of, um, but those are it. Most of my time-saving stuff, the stuff that you need to stockpile, the stuff that you need to get is skills. You need to learn skills. So if you know how to cook already, then you have this huge jumping off point where you can just say, okay, well, I'm just going to cook more for myself and I'm going to stock the things that I need from the store and I'm going to grow the things in my garden that I want to cook with. But if you don't know how to cook, there has to be somewhere to start. So just pick one meal and learn how to make it. Learn how to make it semi-homemade with the things you buy from the store and then pick one ingredient and step back from there to try to think of how you could make that more from scratch. And it's an example I use a lot, but it never gets old. If you make tacos and you buy the shredded cheese from the store, the next step would be to buy your own 
block of cheese and shred it yourself. And that means you, you might need to get a box grater from the store. And then you have that new kitchen tool, you know? So um, if, you're, if you're used to buying a can of refried beans from the store, then buy some dry pinto beans and soak them overnight and cook them down, you know, with a little onion and a bay leaf or however you do it. And um, then, you know, put them in another pot and cook them more and smash them until you have refried beans. And it's that easy. I mean, you can add lard or do all the other things that um, make them really delicious, or you can just try to get the salt level right and have them be really good anyway. There's always room for you to improve on what you do. You just need to start doing something to get to the point where you're making that those things that you really, really love. So I've talked about, um, you know, the products, the items, the small appliances that I have in my kitchen that are really helpful. But there's other things that are super helpful too. Like beyond a full set of dishes and silverware, it's good to have um, mixing bowls of various sizes and a spatula and um, really good chopping knives and like a cheese grater and just really kind of basic kitchen equipment. And if you've, you're somebody who's just never cooked for themselves, you might not have that in your house and that's okay. But just start to think like, as you pick these recipes that you wanna do, learn about the tools that go into making them well and then invest in them. Uh, you don't have to buy the cheapest thing, but you don't have to buy the most expensive thing. So there's somewhere in the middle there, you can buy pretty inexpensive stuff and have it be pretty decent quality. And my trick for that is I go to the restaurant supply store here locally and I look there first before I buy kitchen stuff anywhere else. The stuff at the kitchen restaurant supply store um, is going to be stuff that's made to be used in a kitchen with a lot of people to be used and washed every day or multiple times a day. One, it's going to be super basic, no frills. And it's two, it's going to be really sturdy compared to other stuff. And it's going to be pretty cheap. So it's not actually more expensive just because it comes from the restaurant supply store. So I think that checking there first if you have one in your area, which you could search for chef store. And I think all the one in my, our area used to be called cash and carry, and then it became chef store. So I think Dickies is another one. Just search restaurant supply store in your area and see if you have one. That's also a good place to buy bulk ingredients for stuff like spices. If you're not picky about organic and fresh and blah 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 you could just get if you're gonna buy basic crap spices somewhere it might be cheaper to buy the large bulk spices from the restaurant supply store than it is to buy from the bulk section at a, a grocery store um it's it's worth comparing um so i think that getting like a good whisk and and stuff like that is really useful um as far as the small appliances go i did forget my cuisinart Two, two piece, two Cuisinarts. Cuisinart is a brand. I'm talking about a food processor and a food processor is useful for so many things. Like uh, from, from making biscuits, biscuit dough, to making butter, to making salad dressings, to making falafel mix, to making hummus, to making any kind of dip you can think of, to make, making my fermented applesauce, ranch dressing, mayonnaise, like it, it's a workhorse. Um, I also have a Cuisinart brand 
immersion blender. And an immersion blender is when you immerse the blender into the food. So it's also called a stick blender sometimes because it's shaped like a stick. You hold it in your hand and you put it in. It's got a tiny little blade like a blender and it's really good for making mayonnaise and other sauces. It's also good for making like creamed soups. Like if you're making a butternut squash bisque, you just put the wand right into the soup and try not to kill yourself by burning your hands off um, and splashing the soup everywhere. But you can just blend it up really quick. So those are two good things. And I also have a hand mixer, which is like, you know, the little egg beater things that come off of a, a, a little motor that you hold. That's a, a hand mixer. And I have an electric hand mixer as well. And that's good for a lot of stuff. I just use that to make tallow balm. You can use that to make frosting, to make really good like cake mix, like stuff where you don't want to get your um, KitchenAid stand mixer out. And a KitchenAid stand mixer is another thing that I have and I really like, and that's getting advanced. You know, you don't have to buy all these things on one day, but as you start to do more for yourself, you might find that some of these tools would be useful in helping save you time, which is, I think, very valuable. And the, the KitchenAid stand mixer is expensive, but it's one of those things that you'll have for the rest of your life if you take care of it properly, hopefully. Things are always changed the way they make them, but they used to be made by Hobart, which is the same company that made really big blenders, not blenders, but um, mixers and meat grinders, that kind of stuff for restaurants. And it was the same motor in a KitchenAid as it was in a Hobart, and it was cheaper. And I have a KitchenAid that still has a Hobart motor, and it was um, my mom's for her wedding present. So this thing is like 45 years old, 40 or 45 years old now. And uh, yeah, it's still going strong. There's also lots of attachments for a KitchenAid. So basically you have a bowl and you have some kind of attachment to put on this motor that will run in your bowl. So you can use a whisk that would be making uh, butter or whipped cream or uh, frosting, or you could use a paddle and that would be for making cookies and things like that. Or you could use your dough hook, which would be for kneading dough. And I, I, I do my sourdough stuff by hand. I don't usually use my mixer for that but when I was baking bread before I knew about sourdough I did use it and it was very useful there's other attachments like a meat grinder a sausage stuffer and a pasta maker that you can buy separately and hook up to your machine and it runs from that same drive from that same motor um, I haven't messed with most of those I know some people who really like them but I've just never done it myself and now to keep this idea of trying to make you know, making nourishing meals easy to do in your house. There's KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> right? K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Seriously, keep it simple. Like, if you are just getting started, just literally just cook meat until it's cooked through and make a vegetable and eat it. And then making the vegetable could be like eating a cold salad or making a baked potato or cooking like a squash in the oven. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy. It can just be what it is. Other times you could be making a meal and that's great too. Um, one thing I wanted to backtrack on when I was saying to make large batches of things that works for me because I know I like a recipe, but the first time I do a recipe, I always do it once through before I make an extra big batch. I just want to try it and see if our family likes it. Once we know it's good. And once we know we like it, then I make a big batch the next time I make it. And repurposing leftovers. 
this is a good trick too, because nobody, well, most people don't want to eat the same thing every day. And like, especially with kids, if they see the same thing as last night's dinner, they're like, oh, we're having this again. No matter how good it is, it could be the best thing. Oh, it's pizza again. Oh, that's so disappointing. So if to avoid that, I always repurpose things by kind of keeping some stuff separate. So for instance, like if we're having pasta one night, I make extra sauce and maybe I'll freeze some of it, but I'll save like a couple cups of it. And the next night we're going to have roasted potatoes. But the night after that, we have sourdough pizza and I use that sauce from the pasta night. The day, so I've, I've skipped a day and I've changed it into something new. So it's not like we're having leftover spaghetti that was all cooked the night before, but the sauce is what takes a long time. And so I just save some of that to repurpose. And that might be pasta one night and then there's this stuff that's really good and I can't pronounce it because I've never said it out loud. Shakshuka, shuka shuka. It's, it's, it's some like, it's, it's basically like tomato sauce and, and then you um, crack an egg in it and cook the egg in the tomato sauce and it's really good. So we, something like that. And I, that's something I would have for breakfast. So I might save some sauce so I can make that dish. Um, repurposing your, the ingredients, like restructuring, um, uh, you know, like deconstructed, reconstructed, whatever. Uh, you could have like the soup one night as your main course and then something else the next night. And then the following night I might have soup on the side of a grilled cheese so that it's like, yeah, it's the same soup, but it's not a big giant bowl of the same exact soup the next night. We've skipped a whole day and we're doing it as a side this time. So that's one way I, I work the leftovers in without them feeling like leftovers. For instance, for Thanksgiving, when you have a ton of stuff left, like mashed potatoes and turkey. So like turkey can become turkey sandwiches or turkey salad or turkey enchiladas or turkey chili or turkey soup. It's not just another night of reheated turkey meat. Actually, it's not very good to reheat it. It gets rubbery. So I always reheat mine in whatever I'm making, which would be like the stew or soup or enchiladas. Same thing with the mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes reheated are actually kind of good. I always thin them out more the next time and they're, they're good. Um, with a little chicken broth or some extra milk. But if you don't like that, then you can make um, mashed potato pancakes, which is just like add an egg and some flour or some almond flour or something to just thicken it enough that you can plop that in a pan like you would cook a pancake, flip it over and it's done. And then you're eating potatoes and eggs and a little dairy. And uh, that's a great breakfast for kids. Before my little guy was eating wheat, I would make him those and just use a little almond flour and just egg yolks. So it was extra nutritious and um, they'd be like a beautiful yellow color from the, you know, orange color from the uh, yolks from our nice chickens. And he loved them. So those are just some ideas of ways to like make your meals less boring. Um, but you can also keep it pretty darn simple. Uh, I think like really is, it's just like starting from where you are and trying to figure out how to do a little more each day. And, um, maybe that's like working one new thing in at a time. And I think that's really what I did. So I didn't just like start by, you know, making all the bread for my family I, I had to learn how to make a sourdough starter and then how to look, learn how to bake a good loaf 
And then eventually, you know, seven months in, I started making most of our bread. And now it's been like four months and I haven't bought anything from the store. Pancakes, waffles, English muffins, all of the things, bagels, uh, all of them, tortillas. Uh, I can make it home. And if I would have thought that I could do that a year ago, I would have been so overwhelmed to think to do that a year ago. I was still buying bread at the store a year ago. And I wouldn't have thought I could do that. I wouldn't have wanted to. But now, just from learning it to, you learn something to the point where you don't have to follow a recipe, then it's not like stressful or labor intensive. It doesn't take a lot of mental power to then do that thing. So once I had the sourdough memorized, I was like, okay, I can do this. Not only that, like the timing of it, of when to start it, when to shape it, when to bake it, how to fit those into all my waking hours. So I'm not waking up at two in the morning to like shape a loaf of bread. Um, Once I figured that out, I realized, okay, I figured out a timeline I could do. And then I did that timeline for a long time. And I realized this is way more flexible than I thought it was. And then I got into like feeding ratios with the sourdough starters. So I could speed up how quick it would rise or how long it would take so that I could have my sourdough starter ready for me when I wanted it to be instead of having to bake when the sourdough when the sourdough starter told me to why am I listening to that colony of bacteria and yeast I should be controlling it I'm the one who captured it in a jar you know I'm in charge here so there's a lot of things like that where you can just like make them part of your life and they don't have to be hard but you can't do it all at once so pick something And what I would love from listeners, if you're listening to this, tell me, are you picking something? Are you trying something new, trying something to add something into your, um, your routine and in your kitchen or in the way you take care of your home? And if you are, what is that? And how's it going for you? And what what do you think that you might do next? I, I love hearing about that. So if you're a member or you've been to one of the workshops, you can join the Telegram group chat that uh, is for exclusive Greener Postures members and workshop attendees. Um, If you're in there already, share that information in the group chat. Tell us what you're working on, what you're learning. I know a lot of people are learning sourdough. This is a great time of the year to do it um, because it's cold and you want to keep your house cozy and warm. And it's also a hard time of the year to do it because it means that your house is cooler and you're trying to uh, get the sourdough starter going. Um, But once your sourdough starter is established, it's not so fussy with the cold Uh, Mine was kind of hard to get started in a cold house, but now it doesn't even seem to really care. And I understand it and it's established. And we, we have this like symbiotic relationship. We're just working together in the kitchen all the time. Maybe you want to learn to ferment. Um, Maybe you want to learn to make more of your own condiments. That's a really good one. That's a huge, that was huge for me because you know, you would open your fridge and you'd look at all that stuff in your, in the door of your refrigerator. And you'd be like, all that stuff has stuff I don't want to eat anymore. And you like, if you really did an overhaul, it'd be like chucking all of those bottles, you know, corn syrup and the ketchup and uh, mustard and salad dressings with canola oil and soybean oil and sugar. And it's like the first time I did that, it was, I threw away everything in my refrigerator and it was really depressing because it's like, those are those things you can pull out to just add like flavor and make your meal more unique instead I had nothing. And so how did I build that back? How did I build back better in my condiment section? Um, 
It's I learned how to ferment condiments. And the reason I'm learn I'm gonna mention the fermentation is because that helps preserve. So if you ferment your condiments, then they can last in your refrigerator door like store-bought ones do. Without them, you know, they add citric acid and they pasteurize and, and, and a bunch of other stuff. But the natural bacteria in fermentation is gonna help preserve your food. So by putting those things in your door uh, of your refrigerator, uh, you can have stuff that you can grab from that you don't have to make every single day. You know, like I have pesto um, that I made like a Thai style pesto. So I used garlic and scallions and I used fish sauce and ginger and a whole bunch of Thai basil and cilantro and some oil. And I, I blended that like I would make a pesto. I made that over a year ago and I still have it in my refrigerator. And how did I do that? Well, I didn't ferment that. I use a different trick for that one. I keep it under oil. If the, there's a slick of oil on the top of this, there can be no oxygen, which means mold cannot grow. So I packed the, uh, the pesto into the jar really well. And then I covered it with the same oil I used, usually olive oil. I think I might've used avocado oil or a mix. Um, it's already very oily, so it doesn't actually matter. You just put a slick of oil over so nothing is poking out and then that'll stay in your refrigerator indefinitely. Um, and then all I do is kind of like scoop around that oil and then flatten the pesto back out after I'm done taking what I want from it and then make sure the oil is covering again. And if you have excess oil, you can stir it in and then add more. And sure, by the end of your jar, your um, pesto is going to be a little more oily, but it's still pesto is oily. That's the, the nature of it. If you don't know, pesto is just basically basil and oil blended together. Parmesan cheese, garlic, and uh, some kind of nuts. Pine nuts or walnuts are the most common. This one was um, so I could make curry. It's basically like a curry paste without any chili in it. And that's because the kids don't like spicy. So when we don't have Thai basil and we don't have cilantro at home and I want to make curry, coconut milk, some fish sauce, go in a pan, a little bit of broth. I add some green curry um, paste that I do buy from the store that I have in the pan in the pantry when it's sealed and then in the refrigerator after it's open. And then I can add this, a little bit of this pesto and that gives it that fresh basil and cilantro taste and it's still damn good and that's amazing. So making things that are going to last I think is one of the biggest things that helped me be able to make more food from scratch. For instance, I can make a steak and a potato and sit down for dinner and then I can get like three kinds of vegetables out of the refrigerator without doing anything that are all fermented. Grab some sauerkraut, grab some kimchi, grab some fermented carrots, grab some fermented butternut squash, grab some dill pickles. There's a lot of choices um, and these are all vegetables that we grew and preserved with fermentation. And yeah, when the fermentation process is done, you move them to your refrigerator. So they do take up space. But uh, think about how much more space you'll have in your fridge if there's not old takeout containers in there. It's like, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of space. You know, we have... Um, we have, I keep a pretty organized refrigerator and I have a lot of jars in there of different things, sourdough discard and kefir grains and clabber and, uh, whey and all these fermented foods and all these fermented condiments. And it's good. It's like really good because it's super easy to just grab what I need from there. And this stuff's not a ticking time bomb to mold city. It's like, it's not just going to go bad. And Keeping a well-stocked pantry is integral 
to this as well, because then when you do learn to cook, you have the things that you need. And it, you might not know what well-stocked means yet if you're not cooking. Uh, if you are cooking, think about the things that you use all the time and make sure you have backups of those things if you have room to store them. And then um, when you run out of something, you just pull from your backup and then you replace that when you go to the store the next time. It's, it's comforting to know you have enough to, you know, get you by a little longer. So if there is a problem, if there's a shortage of something, if you lose your job, if, there, if there's a problem somewhere, you've just got a little cushion. You just don't have to worry about it for a little while. And I think that that's a really comforting thing. Not to mention if you're worried about money, uh, buying in bulk is, is definitely money saving. But also buying now instead of later, geez, that's really seeming like it's paying off because the price of food is going up so incredibly much. And in my lifetime, I've never seen that come back down. You know, maybe it goes up and down a little bit in a little area, but really it's always trending upward. So I don't see why you wouldn't invest today in what will be more expensive for you to buy tomorrow. You're like buying... Your future self is buying it on sale. If that's a way to look at it. If you have room to store it and it has a good shelf life, um, then do that. And there's a lot of good resources out there to help you understand the best way to store certain things. Like I have done, you know, the prepper thing. Like we have Mylar bags with oxygen absorbers to store our wheat berries and different kinds of grains, um, as well as like corn for making cornmeal, grinding cornmeal. Um, and then we, we've, I've also used the Mylar bags and oxygen absorber for foods that I've dehydrated. Um, and then, you know, obviously the meat is in the freezer and, um, fermented stuff is in the refrigerators, but, uh, you could, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a website called readysquirrel.com, R-E-A-D-Y squirrel.com. And they seem to be pretty cool. It's like a blog and, and, and pretty much anything I've ever asked that pops up to give me an idea, you know, how many, what CC absorber do I need for this size Mylar bag? That, that guy's got a blog post on it. So, um, you could check that out if you want to learn more about how to store. So guys, I, uh, I hope this was helpful. Um, I think the real answer is, is like, if you want to do more for yourself, you want to cook more for yourself, you want more nourishing foods and less store-bought stuff. It's just, you, you got to do it. Like, I can't do it for you. I can't tell you what to do. There's no magic, like, thing that I could say that could help you. <laughs> it's about you becoming inspired because you see or hear something that resonates with you and you let it inspire you. And then you move forward to do better than you've done before. And I think there's a lot of us doing that now um, that maybe we're kind of just going through the motions a few years ago. And things, um, things are a little more lively now. They've, they've woken up some of us, and other ones seem like they're mo more asleep than ever. But I think people like me, people like who are probably listening to this podcast, are trying to do better than they've done before. If we think about this, we've lost this ancestral wisdom. We've lost the knowing of how to do these skills. Our parents, let's see, my parents... And my grandparents didn't know these things. My grandpa cooked with margarine because he was diabetic and he was told that low fat was going to help him not succumb to his diabetes. And he died with one leg and missing a few toes from kidney failure. 
So the insulin they gave him and the low-fat diet they prescribed did not save his life. And the irony is, is the foods that he probably grew up eating that his mother fed him was the things that could have kept him healthy. And they've convinced us that those things make us sick. There's a huge inversion. Everything is upside down. And uh, we, it's up to us to learn these skills again, learn them back again and teach them to the next generation so that, that we have this wisdom that has been like, I don't know, forced out of us by propaganda, nonstop propaganda. From Procter and Gamble inventing um, the hydrogenated cottonseed oil product known as Crisco, uh, and telling everyone that that was a healthy way to go. And that was, um, you know, what you would do if you cared for your family when you were a housewife and uh, what restaurants could do to save money. And we never took into consideration if that was real food or not. They told us it was, and we just went with it. And when I look at it, I go, what, what process did that chem have to go through to get to my plate? And it's not, it's not pretty, people. But when you think about butter... Well, I understand that. You milked a cow, and then you let that milk sit for a bit until the cream separated, and you skimmed the cream off the top, and then you shook or spun or churned or, or uh, food processed that cream until the buttermilk separated from the fat solids, and you had butter and buttermilk. That I can explain to you. I can see it. I can understand it. Whatever happens with cotton and the seeds and this solvent wash and to get an oil that they then hydrogenate, uh, I cannot explain that to you and I don't understand it. It's not, uh, it's not to be understood. So let's, uh, let's find those simple things that we can understand that come from nature. And let's learn about them again. And let's figure out a better way to do things again, the old way, or, but maybe better than that. Even it's hard to say so much about our history is, is convoluted and confused and hidden and, and inverted. So it's hard to say, you know, how many years we've been doing something one way or another, but I can say salt curing and fermentation that's in all cultures that that's been around for us b- since before recorded history. Whereas processing things like uh, vegetable oils or hydrogenation or even canning, canning's only been around for about 200 years. So they say, <laughs> keep things simple and take it back. Learn how to do it yourself. And I'm here to help in any way I can. And even if that's just answering your DM questions. I hope you're gaining something from this podcast. I'm never trying to be bossy if I come off (laughs) as as that at times. Uh, Most of this time I'm just talking to myself. And I'm literally talking to myself in my basement. So if you're listening to this, reach out and, and tell me what you think and what you're working on. I would really appreciate it. I hope you will join the membership and get my other exclusive videos. 
I hope you'll um, join our workshops that are coming up in, in February and March. It's going to be fantastic. Sunday, the 26th of February and Sunday, the 26th of March, both at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, February is going to be the canning workshop live online through Zoom. And March 26th is going to be the sourdough workshop. Both of those come with a book that I write, as well as its full demonstration. Any of your questions answered, it's a conversation. So those will also be up on the website as replays afterwards. The price is the same though. So if you think you'll get something out of being there live, I really recommend it. It's more fun when there's more people and everyone's asking questions. The workshops from the past, the fermented beverages, fermented condiments, all of those are up on the website as well for purchase. They're all going to be $40 still this year uh, across the board. If you're in the membership at the $25 tier, that also includes a workshop if there is one that month. So if you want to do it anyway, maybe joining the membership would be a good move. And then you can get into those uh, workshops for cheaper. And get into that Telegram group. So... I think that's going to conclude not only this podcast, but the month of January's nourishing foods topic. And I hope this has been useful to you. And um, next month, I'll be back next week with canning. I'm really excited to talk about canning. So I'll talk to you soon, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny, and this was the Greener Postures podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today by going to youtube.com slash at greener postures questions feedback or would you like to be a guest on the show send me a dm or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me i'd love to hear from you if you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive greener postures telegram group chat go to my website greenerpostures.com slash workshops i hope to see you there